Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. How many of you have ever, in your life, ever asked yourself the question, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for me? What does God want me to do? I grew up in an era when, um, as a young person, when I was in youth group, your guys' age, uh, we used to talk about this a lot. We used to talk about, you know, God's will for your life. There were a lot of books written. There were seminars. Um, you know, we talked about this a lot. What is God's will? What does he want me to do for a career, uh, marriage? Where do I live? You know, what choices, you know, the big choices do I make? What is God's will for your life? What is God's will for your life today? What is God's will for you? I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to, this will be our last Sunday of our series on a season of thanks. And I just also want to remind you that the bulletin board out by the church office out there, there's a place where you can take a card and you can uh, write down something you're thankful for. And Julie is typing those up and putting those on the board. So I just encourage you to share a word of thanks, um, what you're thankful for. And each week we've been considering uh, the theme of thanks and thanksgiving uh, this month. So let's pray together. Father, as we open your word, uh, we are reminded it is your word. I pray that my words would not get in the way, that our thoughts would not get in the way, but that we would uh, focus on your words and your thoughts today, and they would be your words and your thoughts, and that ours, as a result of that, may be pleasing and acceptable to you. I pray also your blessing on our children as they continue to meet, and also our early childhood group that has been meeting already, and we pray your blessing upon them and to be with the leaders and teachers as they share your love and your word with them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, as the Apostle Paul comes toward the end of this letter, and this is an early epistle, this is one of Paul's earliest epistles, the church at Thessalonica, where he had visited on his uh, second missionary journey, as we considered that this summer, as we talked about his journey. As he comes toward the end of it, he has um, sort of some, I use the word staccato, kind of just quick, boom, boom, boom instructions that don't, they're in elaborate, they don't go into a lot of detail, but it's just this, this, and this. And you'll notice, um, as we look at verse 16, we have three of them here. Be joyful always. That's it. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Continually. Always. Every. Uh, each one of those is accompanied by this idea of this ongoing, uh, do it all the time. Three of the things that he says, and then and he goes on in verse 19, do not put out the Spirit's fire, do not treat prophecy with contempt, test everything. Verse 22, avoid every kind of evil. You have all these just short instructions for how to live and how to walk your life as a Christian believer. But these three particularly, joy, prayer, and Thanks for joy there. The idea, I think you'll see in some that have be joyful evermore. It's this continuing uh, experience of joy, of having joy in your life, to have it continually. And that's why the word all is used there as well. For prayer, 
One of the commentators suggested that we could say pray incessantly. It's a continual, just continue to pray, continue to pray. Like it never stops. You're always praying. You continue to pray. Pray incessantly. And then the final one, which of course our focus today, to give thanks in all circumstances. It's kind of interesting in the Greek language. It doesn't even, there's no word for circumstances. There's no word for things. It's, it's just the word ponte. It's just the word all. And in Greek and both Greek and Hebrew can be very uh, succinct. It can be very brief and, and state and stating their thoughts get right to the point. Uh, both the languages of the Bible have that uh, availability. And that's all it says here. Basically, if you were to literally translate it, it just says, give thanks and all. Give thanks and all. And so we supply the word all what? All circumstances. All experiences. All things. You know, the word things. Uh, my friend Ken Myers, who was an English teacher for years, you know, he used to always get a little abrasive about, don't use that word things so much. And he was right. We sometimes just throw it out there because we can't think of something better to say. So we just use things, right? I'm not sure how Trainer feels about it. Is that you, you have the same problem, Trainer? You're okay with that? Okay. Our trainer teaches English at SPU, so, so we're good. Okay. In all things, give thanks in all. What is God's will for your life? Well, you probably have already read, if you read ahead, the last phrase from this verse. Be joyful always. Pray incessantly. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I remember in our constant talking about God's will, one time, uh, a book that came out, I think it was called Decision Making in the Will of God, put out by InterVarsity Press. Maybe it's in our library. I'm not sure if it still is. It was at one time. And I remember it kind of hit me for the first time. It was sort of a revelation to me that, you know, God's will for my life, maybe it shouldn't be so focused on what I'm going to do for a career, where I'm going to go to school, who I'm going to marry, where I'm going to live. But that God's will for my life is what God wants me to do in these small decisions every day, like right now. What is God's will for me today? How should I live today? And then if we practice that in our life, we practice that presence of God, and we practice walking in God's will, that those big things somehow find their place. They find their place. And as we go through life and, and circumstances and things change, it still finds its place. And here's a case here. This is God's will for your life. Paul also says it's God's will that we live in purity. These are things that are God's will for us. What is God's will for you right now today? God's will for you today, according to Thessalonians, God's will for me is that I am always joyful. I'm always joyful. Now you notice, and of course we make the point, I may not always be happy if we can kind of disseminate or dissect those two. But there is a sense of deep joy. I'm always joyful. Paul says, pray incessantly. Pray all the time. Pray all the time. And then finally he says, always give thanks for everything in every circumstance. This is God's will for your life. This is what God wills, what God wants for me. And I have to think about that. You know, and that's a pretty tall order, isn't it? That, that, that's quite a bit. I mean, think about that. Think about your life. Think about my life. Can I really say that I'm, I'm joyful always? 
Do I pray incessantly? Do I give thanks for everything? You know, it's Thanksgiving season. I always, I always love Thanksgiving season. Not because my birthday always falls right within a day or two of Thanksgiving, you know. But uh, I love Thanksgiving season. I love getting together with family. Um, you have your family traditions. It would be kind of fun to go around and say, what are some of the foods you have only at Thanksgiving? You don't have any other time of the year, things like that. It's a wonderful holiday. And, you know, it's, it's good to give thanks. And I want to, I don't, I want to be careful. I want to say it's easy to give thanks for the blessings. Because if it were easy then we wouldn't forget to do so, but we forget to do so. I know I do. I know I take things for granted. But it is easier to give God thanks for the wonderful blessings, and he's given us so many. I look at my life, and I, and I have, sometimes I feel like David. When David, you know, when David said to God, is this, is this how you always treat people? I mean, you know, when, when he blessed David, and he promised him this, and he promised him that, and David says, is this your normal way of dealing with, with, with men, with humans? And I look at my life and I say, God, why, why have you been so good to me? Why have you blessed me with, with the things you've blessed me with? Why did you bless me with, with a mother who, who um, had the spiritual sense to, 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 to make sure I was involved in youth group and that I went, had the money to go to camp when she had no, very much money? It was so important to her. Why have you blessed me with the wife that you've given me as a partner in the ministry and my children and our health? And, and the blessings you've given, you know, a, a job, if you will, that um, I wouldn't trade for anything in the world, it, it being in ministry. Uh, parents, if, if your children, if your children ever feel called to God's, to God's service and, you know, to, to full-time Christian service as a pastor or a missionary, um, uh, please don't, don't get in their way. And don't say, oh, well, you, you, you know, you'll never, you won't make enough money. I, I, I haven't been starving, have I? No. You know, and then Sam Vinton used to say, oh, they might, if I send my kids to Christian, they might get married, they might, they might go to the mission fields if that's the worst thing in the world that could happen. <laughs> Come on now. If God calls you, be open. If God calls you to be an engineer, to be a contractor, to be a gardener, to be a homemaker, whatever God calls you to do, if that's what God calls you to do, that's his will for you. He wants you to be joyful. He wants you to pray always. And he wants you to be thankful. In all things. And you might think, well, the Thessalonians, maybe that was easy for them. You know, they lived in the Mediterranean world. You know, they lived kind of in the area between, you know, Greece and, uh, uh, you know, over, you know, to Israel, that, that curve up there in the Mediterranean, below the Baltic states and so on. It's nice weather. It's, uh, you know, if you've ever been there in the olive groves and think, well, maybe they had life easy. Well, let's look at Thessalonians and what was their life like? This is what they were to give thanks in. Look at chapter 1. And verse 6, when Paul writes this early epistle to them, and he says to them, in verse 6, You, Thessalonians, became imitators of us, that is the apostles, and of the Lord, of the Lord Jesus Christ, in spite of severe suffering, you welcome the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. Their call to the Christian faith involves severe, that's a strong word, severe suffering. Severe suffering. Chapter 2 and verse 2. Paul says, we had previously, us apostles, had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. 
But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you of his gospel in spite of strong opposition. He's talking there now of Thessalonica. That when we got there, he said there was strong opposition to the fact that we would preach the, the amazing grace of God and forgiveness for sins. We were opposed, as you well know. Chapter 2 and verse 9. The Apostle Paul says, Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and our hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. Paul says, this was our example and you have followed it. We toiled, we labored, we worked hard while we were there to present the gospel. Chapter 2 and verse 14. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things that those churches suffered from their fellow Jews who killed the Lord and the prophets and drove us all out. You suffered from your fellow Gentiles and Greeks the same thing that we suffered in, in Palestine for our work there. Chapter 3 and verses 3 to 4. So that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. We were destined for them. And when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that, that way, as you well know. And then verse 7, Therefore, brothers, in all our distresses and persecutions, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. That's just one epistle. You will see this in all of Paul's epistles. Be thankful for everything. Be thankful in all circumstances. And he is writing this to a people who have already, early in this story, have already been persecuted. They have suffered loss. They have, we would say the word, marginalized. They have been opposed. They have been ridiculed. They've been made fun of. I assume they have physically been persecuted as well. This is early in this story. And this is the people that Paul dares to write to and say, in everything... Be joyful all the time. Pray all the time. Give thanks for every circumstance. For this is God's will for you. Now this is Thanksgiving. And as we consider our thankfulness, you know, in the Bible we'll find there's a connection between joy and peace. We'll find this in Romans clearly in chapter 14 and 15. We'll see it in Romans 5 that, that the reason we can have joy is because of the peace of God that we have, that we are forgiven, that we belong to him and that he will care for us. We are called to pray incessantly and to be thankful for every circumstance. But I want to ask you, how do you do this? How do you do this? How do you pray all the time? How do you be joyful all the time? How do you give thanks? Not just for the blessings and the, and the wonderful things that are, that are easier to give thanks for, but for the hard things that have been in your life and maybe the hard things that are going on now. How does a person do this? You know, as I was uh, reading this this week, I, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the commentators used a... a, a um, a connection that I thought was really kind of was interesting. It sort of spoke to me. Um, I want to pick on somebody here. Um, who can I pick on? Matt, you're home. Man, hey, welcome home. All right, Matt. Uh, move your head there, uh, would you please? 
already threw something at me today there. Okay. All right. So, Matt, I want you to look at me. I want you to look at my eyes and don't take them off of me, okay? All right? Look at me, okay? Are you aware of the person sitting to your right? Don't look at him. Okay, what's, what's he wearing? Yeah, that's pretty good. How about, how about the person two doors to your left without looking at him? That's Rory, and what's he wearing? Did you notice that earlier today? Oh, why did you do that? Okay, well, let's pick a little more difficult then. You always look at Roy. How about two doors to your right? Who's that? Yeah, that way. I'll give you a hint. It's a girl. It's close. It's between Saren and your neighbor there. There you go. Okay. All right. Okay, but see, God, Saren was two doors down, three doors down there. Interesting. He didn't take his eyes off me the whole time. I mean, if you think about it, if you, you know, I don't want to distract you too much, but you could do the same thing. You could, you could look at me right now, all of you. And if you looked at me right now, without moving your eyes away, if you thought about it, you could be aware of what's to your right and left. I can see Gary right now, right here. I can see the Grazier, Cameron, and Nikki are home for, not just because I knew they were there, but I, I, can, I can see them, but I'm not looking at them. What's that called, or what? Our peripheral vision. It's an amazing thing. You know, our, our eyes and, the, and our brains are amazing things. You know, if you think about it, um, you know, I had an aunt who lost, she lived with us, and she lost her peripheral vision from glaucoma. And it was really serious, especially driving. It's a big deal if you don't have peripheral vision when you're driving, when you're just carrying on normal activities. You know, your brain is aware all day long, all these things that, 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 that if, you, if you just try this sometime, just take a little bit of time and, and, and just focus. And, and as, you're, as you're going through your life, think about all the things in your periphery that normally you wouldn't even think about or be aware of. But the fact is, your brain is aware of those. It's already tracked them. That's why when you think about it, all of a sudden you see it. Because it's all there. And you're, in your periphery, you are, you are seeing, you have about 180 degrees of vision, actually. See? And one of the commentators used this illustration about spiritual peripheral vision. How can you pray all day long? You, 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 can you consciously pray? How many of you have ever spent a whole day consciously praying? I haven't. I haven't. How, how can you consciously be thankful for everything that comes into your life? How can you be joyful always? And the suggestion, you know, is interesting that the Bible actually says quite a bit about our spiritual vision, our, our peripheral vision. You know, when we, when we lose our peripheral vision, the, the actual, I think, I think the technical term for it is tunnel vision. I don't know if Dr. Mahonison's here or not, but I think it's tunnel vision. Oh, yeah, isn't that right? And and uh, it's you know we use that we use that maybe in a in a in more of a common way saying that person's really got tunnel vision they won't see the other side of things but there is the physical element of you you can't see anything but what is straight ahead of you you lose your peripheral vision as we go through life as I go through life tomorrow and the next day as I go home today um, I can have tunnel vision and just focus on what is happening right now in my life. 
But if I'm willing to have that spiritual peripheral vision and let God be a part of everything in my life and have a consciousness and awareness of the fact that God is a part. The Apostle Paul told the people in Athens, "He in him we live and move and have our being. If I allow God to be part of my life, my family's life, all the time, and open up that vision to realize that and to see that. You know, there are so many scriptures that speak to this. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. This actually is quite a common theme in the Bible, this idea of spiritual vision. Ephesians chapter 1. And in verse... And in verse um, 18, as Paul prays for these people in verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your heart, this is spiritual vision, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is like the working of his mighty strength where he exerted when he raised up Christ from the dead and sat him at the right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given. Paul says, I, I, I'm praying that, that your eyes, you would, your, your eyes would be open, that your spiritual, you'd have 180 degrees of spiritual vision. So that you would at least become aware that the same power that, you know, when Jesus rose from the dead on Easter morning, it wasn't just because it was on the calendar. God, God raised him. Just like God created the earth, God willed, God acted. It says God by his power, it took power of God to break the bonds of death, to raise him from the dead to life. And Paul says that same power that, that, is, that God exerted when he, on Easter morning when he broke the, the, the bonds of death and raised him from the dead is at work in you every day, all the time. And I pray that your eyes would be opened, that you would see that and be aware of that and understand that. This is a common theme throughout the New Testament, this spiritual vision. Look at 2 Corinthians. Well, let me just read it to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, the Apostle Paul says this. So we fix our eyes. Now think of this. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. How do you fix your eyes on what you can't see? Now tell me that. That's an enigma. How, it's, it's a, we, we're looking at not the things we see, but the things that we can't see. We fix our eyes. This is what Paul says. We fix our eyes for what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. Listen, friends, we need to be careful that we don't get tunnel vision and just focus on the things that are happening to us right now and without opening up and being aware at least and allow the fact that God is a part of our lives and that God is indeed the one in whom we live and move and have our being. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, speaking of Moses, it says this, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. How do you see him who is invisible? You can't see him who is invisible. But this is what the Bible says. 
The Bible says God has called us to have spiritual vision. God has called. How, how do you get that? Listen, there's like some of you families here, you know, and you have children. And I know what it's like. I have, I have four children. I know what it's like. I know how busy life is. I know what it's like from morning till night. Um, how in the world, how in the world, families, do you, do you keep this spirit? How do you do this? How, how in your busy lives and in your days, how do you, how do you keep this, this spiritual vision? How do you pray incessantly? How do you have joy all the time? How do you give thanks to God for everything that's going on in your life and in your family's life and in your young people and in your children's life? Young people, how do you give God thanks for everything that's going on in your lives right now? I was a teenager once. I was. That really was. Yeah. How do you give thanks for the, the, the things you're going through at this stage of life? How do you, some of you that are, you know, you're caring for parents right now and you're, and, you're, and you're having some really difficult challenges caring for other people, how do you give joy for that? Um, I could, you know, I was just thinking this morning as I was sitting here, I could, I could walk up and down this aisle, and I could, and I could start over here and go here, and I could 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 go here, of, of, of people that I, as your pastor, I've been with you in some very difficult things in life, some real challenges in life. We've been through those things together. How do you give thanks for those things? How do you give thanks? How do you pray incessantly? How do you find joy in those things? You know, as simple as it, as simple as it is, all I can tell you is what 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 works for me and what should work for me. I'm, I'm not any different than the rest of you. And we struggle with these things too, as pastors. But the things that it's, it's those simple things. What's God's will for your life? It's these simple things. It's finding time to, to read God's Word and to, and to think about it. I mean, I can read newspapers. I can read books. I love history. Um, you know, if you let me, I could read two or three newspapers a day. I'm, I'm okay with that. But that I spend time in God's Word. If I spend time in God's Word... And if I spend time, just set aside a little time to pray. You know, one time this week I, I came in here, and I don't do this enough either, but just came in here and, and prayed for you. You know, walk up and down the aisle and, and think about your faces and so on. To just, to spend, to, and I don't do that. And I think myself, shame on me. Why don't I do that more often? Uh, twice, I was, today, I had, this week, one day I, I had two conversations at different times with people. Um, one email, one phone. And I said, I'll pray, I'm going to pray for you about that. And as soon as I got done, I thought, yeah, am I really going to pray for you? How many of you have done that? Oh, we, we're going to pray for you. But we're not going to pray for you. So on that particular point, God moved me to just jot it down in my notes there. Pray for this person and pray for this person. Pray for Steve Lowen. Talk to Steve Lowen and pray for Steve Lowen. You know, pray for these people. It's so easy to say it, but it's these simple things of reading God's word, of taking time to pray. God bless you for being here today. You could be anywhere today. I know how busy you are. I know how many things are going on, and I know some of you want to go home and watch the game today, and we're going to let you do that, okay? But 
God bless you for being here today because being here singing these songs, how can you sing the songs that we sang this morning and not think about God? How could you possibly do that? Your heart would have to be stone cold or else you don't know Christ the Savior to sing these songs and to see those words and not at least think about God. So what I'm asking for my life, what Paul asked for the Ephesians, and I ask for you, that this Thanksgiving, that God would open our, eye, our eyes, that we would have spiritual peripheral vision, that we would not just see what's in front of us. But as we're looking at what's in front of us, we would be aware of everything else that God is doing around us and at least be aware of the fact that God is active and working in our lives. And if we do, we close with Romans chapter 5. We think about the challenges that every one of us, that God brings in our lives. And this is where it really hits, this is where it really comes down to the, 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 the truth of the matter. Can we, is this really true? And every one of you, every one of you know the truth of this. Every one of you know this. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, when he talks about in verse 2 that we have gained access by faith and this grace and we stand, we rejoice in the hope of glory. And look at verse 3. Not only so, but we also rejoice what? We rejoice in our sufferings. Why? You know this. Look back at your life and tell me, is this not true? As much as you wouldn't want to go through those things again. As much as you wouldn't wish those things on anybody else. As much as you thank God they're in the past. But they might be in the present for your friend or neighbor right now. This is true. We rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering, put the word in there, challenge, persecution, difficulties, issues, whatever you want, habits, we know they produce perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has... Come on now. Open your heart up. Let's think about God. Look at this. God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. God loves you so much. There is nothing that, and I know I tell you this, but I'm going to tell you again, there is nothing you will ever do to make God love you any more than He loves you right now. That's called works. God loves you. God loves me with my imperfections as much as He is ever going to love me. I'm not going to do anything to make God love me more, any more than any of my children or grandchildren. I'm going to do anything to make them more my children or love them more as my children. Yes, we can please our parents. We can disappoint our parents. We can disappoint God. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. But God has already poured out His love into our hearts. He loves us so much that He allows, He brings, he, you know, God is God, He can do whatever He wants into our life things that we have to go through. And in going through them, we learn to persevere. And in persevering, we gain character. 
And the result of it is the hope. And we will not be disappointed. Why? Because God loves us so much. Amen? This Thanksgiving, I hope with all the other things you're thankful for, the blessings, you know, sometimes when I stand in a grocery store in line, and there are certain stores I know if I go there, I'm going to stand in line, and I go there anyway. And I always get, am I, I always get in the wrong line. You do that, Craig? Yeah, I don't know. We, Craig and I, we always get in the wrong line. And, and you stand there. And sometimes, sometimes I get impatient and upset. Once in a while, I remember to just stop and thank God that I have enough money to buy this food. And that I have this food available in the world with so much need. And to stop and just give God thanks. To give God thanks when you're sitting in traffic or crowded on that bus that you have a job. And you have a job to go to and God provides for you. To take that moment when you're in that hospital or emergency room to give God thanks for His love that's been poured out in your hearts. When you send your children off somewhere that, that, that you, you're afraid and you're fearful and you wonder, how's this new experience going to work for them? That God gave you children. That God gave you parents. Let's thanks this Thanksgiving. Let's make a point to just sometime this week stop and give God thanks for everything. And I want you to pick out the most difficult thing that God has ever brought into your life the most difficult thing that God has ever brought into your life. Maybe you want to jot that down. And I want you to just spend a little time thanking God for it and allowing God to be a part of your life in all aspects, not just the good things. Can we do that? We have a wonderful God. Let's sing another great song. And come on now, if we sing this song and sing these words, Let's think about our Lord and let's think about His beauty and His wonder, His grace, His mercy, and His love. And let's sing from our hearts something that I think we all know pretty well. Amen. It means, so be it. You agree with that? You agree with that? About a year and a half ago, we were studying the prophets together. And we looked at the story of Elisha the prophet on top of the hill with his servant. And the Syrians came and surrounded him with an army. And they woke up in the morning and his servant went out and looked. And he came back and he said to Elisha, Elisha, my Lord, we are surrounded. What do we do? Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? And Elisha says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed, oh, Lord. Open his eyes so he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked. And he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Heavenly Father, as a humble people today on this Thanksgiving week, open our eyes that we might see. More are those with us than those against us. Because you are for us. And Father, we can relate as as parents and grandparents. Uh, You know how to take care 
of what belongs to you. This week, Lord, we have wonderful joys we've celebrated, weddings, recent birth, health, gifts, food, a warm place, and a cold day. And Lord, there are also challenges. There have been some deep challenges. And there are some this week. We think of Elisa going through that surgery on Wednesday. It's going to be a serious surgery. I pray for my old grandson as he has his day procedure. And, and so many who had these procedures and are. I think of Gretchen Peterson and her eye surgery she had and, and her recovery. And Father, uh, we can just stop and give you thanks that we are in your hands today. And you know how to take care of what belongs to you. And we are just a thankful people. And you are a wonderful God. In our Savior's beautiful, wonderful name, Jesus Christ, we have gathered today and we leave this place.